everybody. Psychic Me and Angela here. Welcome to Wrestling with the Future. We have got a very special show for you tonight. This is Boys Night. Mike and Mikey are joining me, and we're going to talk about the state of wrestling. And we're going to discuss some upcoming guests, and I think you'll enjoy it. Um, I'd like you to get to know Mike and Mikey a little bit, and this is their, their opportunity to shine. So, gentlemen, put your smiles on. That means you too, Messier. Hey, I started to. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> so, how you guys doing tonight? We got. We, I should tell people before you guys answer. Uh, Jason Knight from ECW was supposed to be with us, but I guess uh, Jason didn't realize he had prior commitments, and Jason bailed on us tonight. So that's all good and it's okay, and we forgive Jason, and that's all right. So now, back to the question at hand: How you guys doing? Go ahead, Mike. I'm good. Everything's good. Now, Mike, are you mad, Mike? Are you Killer Kelleher <laughs> or Mad Dog Kelleher? I'm Killer Kelleher. There you go. Okay. You picked. I gave him a choice. He had to pick his own handle. All right. We got Mike well, Killer Kelleher. Has a nice ring to it. And Mike the Movie Maker Messier. Good to be here, Angelo. Good to be also here, Also known as the angry wrestling fan. Now, let's let's talk about for, that for a second. You know, you came to fame, or prominence, I should say, <laughs> with your angry wrestling rants. Yes. Largely heard on YouTube, and thanks to Vince Russo, you got a little bit of a FaceTime with it, and people know who you are now. Yeah. Uh, we're, of course, we're honored to have you as part of our family here. We're happy to be here. So tell me, uh, where did the angry wrestling rant emanate from? Where did that start, Micah? You and I never really talked about that. I, I can give you the origin story. I was, um, you know, in Facebook for years. I had my own pro wrestling Facebook group called Pro Wrestling Pro Wrestling, uh, which was going along pretty well. And then it kind of became a site where people or, or a Facebook group where people were doing a little too much advertising for my taste. And uh, it was hard to decipher what's advertising and what's news. Then I started another group that was kind of like uh, the insider insider group called the Foreign Object. Then eventually I started branching out to other groups. One of them was called the Cult of Kayfabe, where these uh, the guys in the Cult of Kayfabe group, um, and they have kind of a, a nice logo that's the K-O, reverse K. Um, they were debating... Braun Strowman had just put uh, the big show through the cage on yeah. a Monday Night Raw. So this is about 2017, I want to say. And people were kind of debating, well, does that mean the big show is retired? And did the big show ever live up to his potential? And I, I jumped in, right. I jumped in on just what you said, Angelo. No, he didn't. And I said, this guy came into WWF, I believe, in February of 1999. His first incident was helping Vince McMahon, but they lost. You know, Vince lost this cage match to Stone Cold on St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Yeah. The next yeah. night on Monday Night Raw, Stone Cold uh, gave the big show, uh, or who was called Big Nasty at the time, gave him yeah. a, a stunner <laughs> and pinned him one, two, three in the middle of the ring. And I said, I think that that epitomizes the big show's WWF run. He's had, I think, two. That was good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. He's had two two runs with the title. Uh, they've both been fairly unspectacular. Uh, and every time they need a guy to get 
thrown around by somebody else who's big, Brock Lesnar, Drew McIntyre, Braun Strowman. Yeah. You know, he he's the sacrificial lamb. But my sure. point, I, I just felt that I felt so enraged, Angelo, about the big show that I felt like, hey, I was late to the game with smartphones. And I was just learning yeah. that the smartphone had the capability to take video and I could upload, upload that to YouTube. So instead of just responding in a comment, I cut a video for the guys in Cult of Kayfabe, and then I put it on the thread. And a bunch of them watched it, and none of them really liked it. And then the next thing you know, I was doing another video defending the first video. Um, and then I kind of said, I kind of enjoy this. Like, I kind of like ranting about wrestling in front of the camera. And I was well, doing let's be honest, too, Mike. You're, you're a bit of a ham. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> and eggs. And, uh... I, I, I get to the point where I was doing so many of these wrestling rants and uh, the, the thing that was really the trigger finger of, of taking it to the next level was the Saudi Arabian shows, the WWE Saudi Arabian shows. Yeah. And the initial controversy was that with that was how come they're succumbing to these Shiree laws about no women on the shows, no Sami Zayn because of where he was born. Yeah. Uh, Alistair Black wasn't welcome because of his female goddess tattoo. I took a lot of issue with all that stuff. Sure. And um, just as an interesting coincidence, I happened to be on Twitter one night, and uh, Vince Russo, uh, his brand group had like an open call night, and it just said something like, dial this number if you want to hear the show or be a part of the show. And I, I just thought I was going to be asking him a question. I didn't realize that I'd be part of the podcast team for the night uh, because uh, Vito LaGrasa took the night off, uh, was in was in the middle of something, and so Vince needed a co-host. So I think it was me, Bin, Bin Hameen, Cole Scharf, and a couple other guys. Sure. And, and that's when the promo of me you know, going off about the WWE's doing Saudi Arabian uh, business, that's what kind of took it to the next level. And here I am with you. And uh, it's been a fun ride. Yeah. Terrific. Well, we're honored and happy to have you here. Good to be Mike here, buddy. Mike Kelleher, Killer Kelleher, how do you come to the world of wrestling? Who brought you into this crazy mix? Um, probably Jeff the Ref. Um, Jeff, Jeff and I used to, we grew up together, and uh, he and I used to, watch wrestling and recreate matches and interview each other. And th those are probably my earliest memories of wrestling were and now before the ref introduced, do, did you have any interest in wrestling before that? Or did you know that even this world even existed? Barely. Um, this was like early, probably like 84, 85, something like that. Mm -hmm. So like Hulkamania was definitely running wild. Uh, Macho right. Man, uh, you know all the all the big WWF stars were just yeah. Hot. Now you had to be a kid in eighty four, eighty five. Well, you're maybe like eight, nine years old, ten seven. maybe. Seven, seven. Eight. Oh, yeah. you were really like a little kid. Yeah, me and Jeff played soccer together, and so brother, you're making me feel really damn old right now. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, you are so. Jeez. Yeah, oh, fuck yourself. <laughs> for as oh, much guff as I take from you, Angelo, I uh, I think that's just fair to give you a little back. But um, oh, that, that's where that's where my wrestling story began was with Jeff the Ref. 
No kidding. Now, you watch the product now because being a part of this team, you know, you have to kind of like to keep up with things. Well, um, I've been you, watching. Uh, I should tell people that you are the host of the Refs Roundtable. So, and you and I both know what that is. But if people are just watching this for the first time, and we have, you know, new listeners and viewers every week, thankfully. So tell them what the Refs Roundtable is. The Refs Roundtable is a discussion of the week's wrestling news and events. A lot like what this show is going to be tonight. Um, we, we just, like, we're having, we had a big WrestleMania Pick'em episode before WrestleMania called The Road to WrestleMania. And uh, we're having a we're recording an episode this week where we review uh, Ruffmania, and then uh, talk about you know little happenings of the week, and then get ready for next week. Now, will you be covering all the pay per views that 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 are slated to come up, or yeah. uh, are you going to pick and? Okay, you're going to do them all. Well, I was going to ask you if you were going to pick and choose which ones you decided to do, but. I, I mean, think, it, it, in well, fairness, though, if you're going to do all of them, that's great. I'll, I'll say this: I'll, I will, I will do most of them. There'll be some NXTs that I probably can't do, um, just for time's sake. But I will say most of the, the flagship WWE pay-per-views I will do. AEW, um, I will definitely give it an effort, and then we'll see about NXT. And in addition to doing this podcast, you also, I should tell people, can be seen coast to coast all across the country on a television show. We're going to plug him because he's going to come on the show. You do a show called Legacy List with Matt Paxson. Tell everybody about the show and who Matt Paxson is and uh, how you got involved with Legacy List. Uh, Well, the show Legacy List with Matt Paxson is a uh, a real positive television show which is something that's lacking on tv these days but the the whole premise of the show is we're helping families through transition so it could be maybe the parents are empty nesters and the kids have moved out and they need to downsize or somebody's in an estate we come in and we find the items that are most important for the family and help tell their story through those items and uh that's the whole thing so matt paxton a lot of people know Matt Paxton from the show Hoarders. He was on A&E for the better part of 10 years. Yeah. And, um, you know, he and I have been in the worst houses in America. And I'll just tell you, it's it's a whole new world. Yeah, I'm sure it is. But I do want to say Legacy List is nothing, it's not about hoarding. It's about families and their stories. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, and for the record, I'm, my wife and sister-in-law are huge Matt Paxton fans. And uh, they're looking forward to his appearance on the show. Now, Mike, the movie maker, Messier, is appropriately called the movie maker because you actually make films. Yeah. You do movies, like real movies that people can go see. Yeah. And Uh, I think the, uh, the one that really propelled you to prominence there, if we can talk for a minute about it, it's a film that's a personal favorite of mine called Disregard the Vampire. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank that you, Angel. Great film. Tell everybody how you got involved in making movies. Uh, is something that you that you wanted to do for a long time? Was it a, a dream of yours, Mike? 
Hey, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, it goes back to high school. I went to a high school. I wasn't a, I wasn't a great student, but I uh, happened to have a semester in my senior year of high school where there was a class called TV production that was being offered as an elective. And uh, I signed on for it. And uh, we did a little bit of everything. You know, we had this uh, instructor named Mr. Harvey, who uh, liked to give everybody a hard time. <laughs> he was a fun guy, but he, he liked to joke around. And uh, he would teach us about Segway operating. And and we even got to do a little bit of acting. And we had a good time. And in that in that class, I wrote a script uh, called World War Three Part Two, which was a comedy. <laughs> And uh, it's great. It really is. <laughs> all the different characters would come on to the into the movie by rapping because like rapping was like the new thing at the time. So I had like Saddam Hussein and <laughs> George Bush Jr. rapping. And so you were ahead of Hamilton. Like, you, yeah, you way. Well, that's oh, one yeah. thing, Mike, I'll tell you. you. You guys know this as creative people. You know, there is something called the collective unconscious where you might have a great idea for a movie. And it just kind of goes in one your brain and slips out. And then five years later, you're in a movie theater and you see that movie on screen or something very close to it. Um, even The Matrix. When I saw The Matrix for the first time, one of the first uh, short stories I wrote in high school was very similar to some of the themes of The Matrix. So it, it's all it, that happens quite a bit. Um, going back to Angela's question in college, I did a movie called Man and You, a Providence love story. And um Probably the, the biggest things I've done that people can see, I had a, a fight scene with Wesley Snipes and I played Civil Shepherd's son in a movie called Hard Luck that Mario Van Pe Peebles directed. Uh, Mario directed New Jack City, so people can find Hard Luck. And then a movie called Hope Springs with Meryl Streep. I had a scene with Meryl Streep and Elizabeth Shue. As far as my own filmmaking, uh, Disregard the Vampire, Mike Messi documentary, it's probably my my tour de force as far as really being honest about the frailties, the vulnerabilities, the obstacles, the struggles of the filmmaker. And the vampire becomes a, a, a metaphor for this time consuming, effort consuming, money consuming yeah. uh, vocation of filmmaking. So it, when people hear disregard the vampire, they may not know what they're in for. But I think it's a story that anybody that's ever had a dream and pursued it can relate to, whether that's a, a making a film or making a small business or a relationship that wasn't meant to be. Right. Uh, if you watch right. this movie on YouTube or Vimeo, I think you'll relate to it. So I think uh, thanks, Angelo, for checking that out. Yeah, it's a, it's a great picture. And then, of course, you've you know discussed it on the show before your love of wrestling. You've been a lifelong wrestling fan followed the product since you were a kid yeah i think that's we all get started when we were kids i you know i everybody knows my story i got started with this crazy stuff when i was like six yeah and the first time i ever saw i'll never forget it you know they say you never forget your first time i'll never forget it was bruno san martino versus gorilla monsoon wow, wow. Yeah, it, 1966, a long time ago. On on uh, back then, it was called UHF TV. <laughs> you had this crazy looking antenna that was like around, and you had to like play with it. <laughs> and the crank, but the crank dial. My yeah, right, Mike. Remember them? 
Yeah, and my first match was Bruno and Gorilla Monsoon way back when, and I was I, that first match. I was hooked. That yeah. was it. And Bruno so, won. And I've been involved ever since. Angela, um, say again, Mike. Did Bruno win? Of course. I'm I'm assuming he won. I'm just double checking. He's the champ, of course. The champ always wins. <laughs> I didn't know he was the champ. The that one, you know, Bruno was was the champ from '63. Yes. Now, Mike Messi, I need your your help on this. For you. Yeah. Sixty '63 to '71 to '71. Then he lost it to Ivan Koloff at '71 in MSG. Uh, Ivan lost it two and a half months later to Pedro Morales. Pedro, Pedro right? But Pedro had it for about two two and a half years. Pedro actually defended against uh, Bruno in Shea Stadium, a 71-minute curfew draw. Uh, And then um, Pedro lost it to Stan the Man Stasiak, who only had the title for nine days and lost it back to Bruno. And uh, so Bruno had the title for another, I think, about four and a half years. Yeah, sounds about right. Right. He lost it in, I believe, 77 to superstar Billy Graham in Baltimore. Baltimore, Maryland. Where I've been to see many wrestling shows, yeah, not that one, but yeah. I've been to many shows. The night that shook Baltimore. And Superstar had his feet on the ropes. And the irony being that two, uh, 10 months later, when Superstar lost the title to Bob Backlund, he had his foot on the rope, which should have necessitated a break. Though so that yeah. was kind of the this poetic thing of Superstar Billy Graham's title run. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that didn't go noticed unnoticed on me, by the way. So now... Let's talk about the current product. Well, a lot has changed in wrestling since the days of Pedro and Superstar. Right. Um, of course, you know, Mike Messier, uh, uh, kind of my resident historian here, will bring us, you know, will tie everything together. But Mike Kelleher, Killer Kelleher. Now, you started in the 80s with, the, with Hulkamania. Oh, yeah. When, uh, when you were a fan you know, being indoctrinated by Jeff the Ref, and let's be honest about it. If you were around Jeff the Ref for five minutes, you became a wrestling fan. Pretty you much. just couldn't help it. <laughs> yeah. And so when- he would say, "I'll tell you what." He would say, "Hey, let's go outside and play soccer. Come over and we'll go play soccer, or we'll go do this." But whatever we had planned to do instantly changed when I got there to. Hey, let's watch wrestling. Wrestling, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly where I was going with it. <laughs> so you grew up watching Hulk and Ultimate Warrior. Sting. Like the, the, the oh early my God. Oh, Now, yeah, you watched, uh, you grew up uh, in that, what was that, Mid-Atlantic? Yeah, like we used to get on with, TV. Like after Sting school. and the, the Crockett, uh, Crockett era. Yeah, I mean, we, we got... Um, we got AWA, we got NWA. Oh wow! And we got um, WWF. Wow, you got all of it. Yeah. In the eighties. Yeah. Shit. What city were you in, Mike? Uh, Virginia Beach, Norfolk. Okay. Virginia. Yeah. And you got Vern Gagne. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we used to get we used to get um, NWA, and then when it kind of transitioned over to WCW, um, wow, we we got all that. And um, I just remember, you know what? I keep this memory 
of watching those AWA matches growing up was really uh, was really odd because it wasn't like the WWF production at all. Well, d- did you notice uh, when you were watching AWA more of a a traditional wrestling style as opposed to like show busy glitz? Looking at it as not the seven or eight or nine year old, yes. Looking at it as an adult or somebody with perspective, yes. And I just remember those poor jobbers that were put in the ring with, uh, you know, these bruisers, and they would just get absolutely destroyed. Oh, sure. Yeah, I they, mean, they had the some big guys, you know. Yeah, Mike Messier, they had they had some big guys at Vern's territory. Uh, you know, one-man gang, you know, Dick the Bruiser, the Crusher. Yeah. Um, the Road Warriors were them. there. The Road Warriors were there in 84 oh, yeah, and 85. Road Warriors. And, Scott uh, Hall. Yeah. Crusher yeah. Blackwell. Crusher oh, Black, yeah. uh, Bruiser Brody. That nobody talks about anymore. Crusher Jerry Blackwell. Angelo, I got to tell you, I've been watching some old school wrestling on YouTube, and I discovered Central States Wrestling from about 1984. And they've got Ric Flair tag teaming with Crusher Blackwell against Ken Patera and um, Dory Funk and Jr. Great wrestling. Central States was great, great wrestling. Yeah, it was and a it's lot of a fun. shame, you know, Messier. It's a shame that that all of that history is lost on people. You know, I, I had a guy. In fact, Mike, you were my co-host the night Sal Carrenti was coming on. Yes, yeah. the Bruno okay. Sorrentino. And yeah, with Bruno. And I spoke to Sal today, and it's funny because Sal asked me, why do I do this if it's not for the money? And I and the answer I gave him was just what you and I were speaking about, you, you and I and Mike. And I said to him, I do this to preserve the history. Mm. Because if it were not for people like us to preserve the history... The young kids watching the stuff today, all they would know as history is NXT, AEW, WWE, and that was that's all they would know. Yeah, and you know, it, it's one thing that I remember from WWF programming and even WCW, but I remember specifically in WWF, they made it a point in the 80s and early 90s to reference stuff that happened in the decades prior. Thank you. But exactly. They don't do that anymore. No, Mike, they don't. Mike Messier, what's missing from that scenario? Well, you know, I, hey guys, I'll take an alternate point of view if I could to segue into something that just happened, which sure. is uh, getting a little bit of traction and controversy, which is this John Cena Bray Wyatt match at WrestleMania that was pre taped. It was called the Firefly Firefly Funhouse, and it turned into like a French art film, which uh, a a lot of people did not appreciate, Jim Cornette especially, but I I actually did appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Cornette didn't like it. No. We should point out, though, all of us should, should make a concerted effort to point out that Jim Cornette, God bless him, and that's ironic and in, a, in and of itself, if you know Jim Cornette, he's an atheist right. and doesn't believe in God. But God bless him, 
you know, Jim Cornette is a wrestling purist, and I respect the hell out of him for that. However, you've got to be willing to at least open up your eyes a little bit to the possibility that wrestling is not only sport or and, and or entertainment, but also, let's be clear about it, Mike Messier, it is an art form. And it's like film. And Vince McMahon himself said in the film uh, Beyond the Mat, he said, we make movies. We make movies, pal. <laughs> we make movies, pal. Yeah, we make movies, pal. You know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, yeah. and, and he's absolutely right, Mike. And that's kind of ties in to what you do. You know, there were two matches that people dumped on big time. Of course, the AJ Undertaker match, which had a cinematic feel. The bone saw and, match. Yeah. yeah. Boneyard. Boneyard. And, and I you. never in my life before or since heard of a boneyard match. That one, <laughs> and of course, the heretofore mentioned John Cena Bray Wyatt match, which was cinematic. Let's be honest about it. Let's call it what it is. It was a, a cinematic piece. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that if it tells if it does two things. Actually, three things. Number one, and most important, it tells a story. Number one. Number two, it grabs the attention of the viewer. And number three, gets someone over. And that's why you even have a match to get someone over. You have to. Right. That you that's that's it. Somebody has to win, somebody has to lose. Somebody's gotta go over, somebody has to go under. I, so if it's not to get someone over Mike Messier, why even have it? Well, that's a good point. And and I, I agree with you, Angelo. And I think it was Raven that used to say at ECW, Paul Heyman's style of booking was one guy goes over, one guy Gets over. Gets over. Thank right. you. Right. And he was referring to himself in Tommy Dreamer's feud that Raven would typically go over and win the match, but Tommy Dreamer was getting more and more fans because people respected And he his... got over. Right. Go ahead. Killer Kelleher. Well, I, you know, I have a I have a little thought about this that, you know, maybe adds something to the conversation. Sure. You have to take into account what point these guys are in their careers, too. Like That's was, a very valid point. Ab absolutely. You know, you couldn't do those matches with young guys who are fresh on the scene. They, they, these are people like you, like I've said before, there's, there's generations that have not known a WrestleMania without the undertaker in it. Exactly. So to have a match, a match with uh, taker, it, it it's something that people expect, uh, right, yeah. wrong, or indifferent. And then the uh, the scene of this, you know, you talk about the the Firefly Funhouse match. The thing I really loved about that is they told a whole story in one match, which that's absolutely exactly right. And that's why I say, and and I'll reiterate what I said: the three things you've got to do if you're going to do that kind of match. Number one, tell a story. Number two, hook people, get them involved. And number three, get somebody over. But like, you know, 
does Taker beating AJ Styles help either of them? I mean, like, I don't know. Like, and then well, no, but what it did was it established AJ as a a credible person, a credible wrestler. B it fortayed his style that not only can he wrestle, he can roughhouse, he can uh, he can break the rules, he can play by the rules, he can do all these different things because he's that adaptable. If you can hang with the Undertaker for eight or ten minutes, you're doing something pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. I, I saw it as, as AJ was really stepping into the Shawn Michaels spot from 10 or 12 years ago when they had those back-to-back exactly. WrestleMania matches, I think at 25 and 26. Undertaker works best with a guy that can fly for him, a guy that can sell yeah. for him. Undertaker's matches with Kane and Stone Cold Steve Austin in the big show were, were never as good as his matches with AJ Styles no, or Shawn you Michaels. You know what? I agree with you. Mike, uh, Mike Kelleher. Sure. Do you do you think, or let me ask you this: In your opinion, can can an AJ Styles foray into that Shawn Michaels category? Does can he? Are you shaking your head? No. Yeah, I don't. Well, what what is? You tell me from your perspective. Why can't AJ slide into Shawn's spot? He can make his own spot, but he'll never be Shawn Michaels. I'll just say that. Like, I, I think that, I think that, uh, like, if you're talking about the role that Shawn Michaels played to a degree, yeah, but he won't do it as well as Shawn Michaels did it. And he, uh, like, I think he's done his, his stock some, some disservice with, right. with his, his, uh, story arc or his, his character progression over the past year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole Anderson and Gallows thing, um, you know, Has that play, played out its course already, Mike? No, it's still going. They were in the match. They were in the Boneyard match. Yeah, but my, my point is, at this point, is it really necessary to even oh, involve oh, oh. them? Oh, I see. I thought you meant, okay, should it be over? Yes. Are they going to keep it going? Yes. But and that bothers me. <laughs> it bothers me, too. Like, I, I don't look at Agent Kyle's uh, as a legit threat. When he has to have two thugs with him. Well, that's and, my point. Yeah. You, yeah, you, you absolutely made my point. Messier, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, he had Ric Flair and he had Tully, Arn, Ole, Lex, Barry, that Sid. Different. How that was, was that different? It's the same thing. No, 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 no. You <laughs> How had was it different? Most, you had those guys. Some of them were tag team champions. And then you had... Somebody else floating around, maybe as the TV champ or something like that, and then Rick was usually the heavyweight champ. They would all help each other, but it wasn't the same. It it, it has a totally different feel. Like these two goons in Anderson and Gallows, they they can't hold a candle to the threat that the Horsemen provided to the wrestling world. And I, I it's just comical watching these guys, these three guys, AJ. Anderson and Gallows do their thing. Well, now you mentioned the word there that Mike Messier has real strong feelings about. Uh oh. The word comical. Mike Messier, comedy and yep. wrestling. Why is it a bad thing? Uh, it can be a bad thing when you've got Joey Ryan, you know, when you've got oh. Hulk, 
Colt Cabana on his hands and knees on New Year's Eve, kissing the outside of Joey Ryan's trunks on his crotch. That's that's no good for wrestling. Now, is that comedy or is that just vulgar? That was Colt Cabana making a statement that he didn't think people should be homophobic because of Lars Sullivan's uh, tweets and stuff coming back to haunt him and Lars Sullivan's gay porn past coming back to haunt him. Yeah, and I I get that, and I I understand it. I really do. Honestly, I do. But we're talking about comedy, and that's to me, that's not funny. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, Joe Ryan fancies himself. If you listen to him speak and you hear his interviews, he considers himself a serious wrestler. Well, I don't. So there goes there goes the whole comedy argument. I guess so. here's, here's, you know, when I, I'm talking about comedy, I'm I'm talking about like uh, I'll give you a point of reference. Okay. Okay. Something Messier will will certainly understand. The days of the midget wrestler. Sure. Novelty okay. match. They were they were absolutely comedy spots. And right. they were put there for a reason. They were to bring the audience to a lighter moment after, usually after A, a tag team championship match, or B, after the heavyweight championship. Well, you know, our uh, our esteemed guest who was on the uh, Wrestling with the Future podcast earlier this week, James J. Dillon, had quite a comedy spot when he was in uh, women's underwear and garters in a match. I think it was Steamboat, Manny that, Fernandez, yeah, and, and Dusty. Yeah, they pulled his pink pants down with Black Bart and Ron Bass. Is that it? Yeah. Something like that, yeah. yeah. And that was, but that was a comedy spot. That was funny. Comedy spot. Well, he was also a manager. Joey Ryan doing dick flips is not a comedy spot. I'm sorry. Well, here, here's, here's the thing, guys. Um, Jim Cornette has often crucified a lot of these things, these supposed comedy spots, and people will take issue with Cornette and say, hey, didn't you wrestle a Ninja Turtle somewhere in Smoky Mountain? And oh he did. God, right? He wrestled yeah. a guy in a Ninja Turtle outfit. But but what Cornette will defend himself, he'll say that he was the manager. He was the goof. And and J.J. Dillon being stripped and exposing a woman's garter on his legs, that's because he's the manager. He's the frat, uh, the, the guy taking the, the fall. The frat fall, yes, exactly. Well, I, I found there to be comedy in the in the John Cena well, Bray Wyatt And, and I find that, you know, Mike, uh, Mikey, I find that interesting that you bring that up because Cornette, who continuously, and now and probably always will, dump on comedy spots, was responsible for some of the funniest moments in wrestling. And that's the ironic part, that he himself is really funny. Well, he would get his head thrown into a cake and, and all types of stuff. And I, I think that's, to me, that's hilarious stuff. I popped huge when I saw that. Right, and I think I think what the situation is you know, is that watching everybody, Jim Cornette take a table bump is hilarious. Right, every everybody's got a, defi- a different definition of comedy. So for True. someone who thinks that Joey Ryan and his Dick Plex or uh, people wrestling invisible wrestlers, there yeah. are people that find that to be the funniest thing in the world. I particularly don't, but I, I'm with you. <laughs> I right. don't. But I'll. I'll, I'll I don't. 
I'll admit to this real quick. Uh, when the Ding Dongs first came out in 1989, I oh found there God. to be some humor in that. These were yeah, wrestlers now, with bells on their trunks, Mike. Killer Kelleher is looking at you like, what the hell are the Ding Dongs? I want you to back the story up. I didn't know if it was a hostess-sponsored wrestling promotion. The Ding Dongs No, were... listen to this. <laughs> Very good reference, by the way, Kelleher. Messier. Tell Killer Kelleher what the hell the Ding Dongs were. You're going to love this one. I, I believe it was and who during, came up with it. I believe it was the pizza salesman Jim Hurd, Jim Hurd, who had had the run of WCW for about two years, from like '89 to '91, and he had all these crazy ideas. And one of them that actually went to print that was, I believe, on the Clash of Champions nine yeah. from uh, the Fort Bragg, North Carolina, with all the Army guys in the audience was that these two wrestlers, I think they were um, underfoots or something like that, a couple of guys went out in full body suits and masks, and they had little bells attached to their wrists, their elbows, their knee they pads. Had, they literally had bells, <laughs> bells, hundreds of bells sewn onto their costume. Right. And, and when, when, he, when, when, when Mike Messier says the pizza salesman, I want to tell you, Jim Hurd was the president of Pizza Hut. Uh, yeah, I actually knew that. Who was offered the opportunity. That he should have said no, but he said yes because the money was too good. And he took over WCW. Knows nothing about wrestling. He went for the paycheck. They okay. paid him millions of millions. You hear what I'm saying? Millions of dollars. Millions and millions of dollars, yes. To do what I don't know. The ding dongs with an idea like the ding dongs. You know, here's here's the the one that comes to my mind as far as comedy is concerned. Bobby the Brain Heenan. Oh was, my God! It man, he was oh, my favorite. God bless him. Him and Gorilla Monsoon, the best. Back and forth. It it it. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. I love it. Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon rivaled Abbott and Costello. And I'll just say, I'll put that out there. The, Gorilla Monsoon was quick and sharp, and Bobby was funny and sarcastic. And the two of them were, they were a match made in wrestling heaven. They yeah. were the best. I, I guess I got to ask a question for both of you guys is, you know, something like, I call it a, a Cena apocalypse, apocalypse Cena, or it's a wonderful Cena, or a Christmas Cena, this this mini film that just happened at WrestleMania. But if you compare that to some of the stuff from 1985 on primetime wrestling, Fuji Vice, um, you know, guys, uh, Mean Gene Okerlund and Hulk Hogan making a protein shake in the kitchen on primetime wrestling. Uh, Nikolai Volkov singing the Russian national anthem and uh, Uncle Elmer's wedding. I mean, this is all WWF stuff. At the time, I was more into the NWA because you had, you know, Ric Flair versus uh, Mike Rotundo or you had Brad Armstrong versus Jimmy Garvin or Holly yeah. Blanchard versus Magnum TA. But in the WWF, this comedy stuff's been going on since at least 85, if not before. Oh, my God. It's been going on for decades prior to that. But as I said before, and people should take note, the comedy spots were 
instituted for one reason, to bring the crowd down a little bit after a big match. And it was usually a championship match. Then they brought him down. Then the match, right? Remember, this is all ties into wrestling psychology, which is like all but non-existent now. Then you had the the, the comedy act, whether it was the the you know male versus female, which was always comedy, the midget wrestlers, or some kind of special attraction match. Then after that, you would have another serious match. Perhaps maybe it was uh, Captain Lou and Tony Altamore versus the Moondogs or some team like that. You know, you think about going to a concert. A band doesn't want to play a set that goes like this. It's going to go up and then down, have your ballad, and then go back up. Well, and, and you bring up a real good point. There's also something else in concerts. You've got the opening act. Yeah. Right? You've got the main headliner. And then the headliner's job, as in wrestling, as you just pointed out, take them up, level them off, drop them a little bit. And then when you end the show, what do you always do? You do your big hit. Boom. Through the roof. Okay? You know, when you went to see Kiss... They ended every show with rock and roll all night and party every day. Right. I have okay. seen Kiss in concert, as a matter of fact. When you went to see Elvis, he ended every show with Can't Help Falling in Love. It, it didn't matter who you went to see in, in a, a concert venue or some kind of you know stage performance. They always ended on their hit. That's what wrestling does. Very much the same. Bring them up, bring them down, level them off, bring them up a little bit. You know, it's it's a roller coaster, and that's what you're supposed to do if you're doing it right. You take your fans on an emotional roller coaster ride. The problem, Mike Messier, is that there's no emotional investment. You and I have talked about this ad nauseum. Right. Well, you know, I, I- and that's guess, the one thing that we always bucked heads on with Jeff the ref. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, Jeff was very much a defender of the current WWE. And, and look, you know, um, maybe as a tribute to Jeff the ref, but I would say that one thing we haven't talked about tonight is the empty arena era, as I'm describing it. And this was the first. Oh, Jeff would shit all over that. <laughs> well, well, but here's the thing, guys. I mean, I. I, I I think for me, it's like this. Would would we rather just be watching old matches? I mean, what if what if AEW, SmackDown, and Raw, and WrestleMania, if if we had nothing to watch, we wouldn't have anything to talk about. They could play, in theory, rerun matches. They could show us Royal Rumbles from 10 years ago, and hey, guys, here was SummerSlam from 2006. But to me, the empty arena era, as I'm describing it, it is serving a purpose. It's maybe teaching these wrestlers some different levels to their performance, maybe sh- showing people like Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley can have a great match. Seth Rollins and KO Kevin Owens can have a great match in an empty yeah. arena. But some of the talents struggled. 
And maybe it's a well, learning lesson. Mike, Mike Messier, you know what it's teaching people above all is it's teaching them because there's no audience. It's teaching them how to work without cueing each other. Right. They're going, they're having to go out and work with, with virtual silence, essentially, but they, they're making up for it by speaking louder. So you can hear the referee. You can hear the trash talking between uh, the opponents. And that, in some regard, is good because you have to kill that deafening silence with something. Killer Kelleher, you wanted to say something. Go ahead. Yeah, Go and for it. you just said something. By the up. way, before, yeah. you, before you say that, I have to tell you. Uh-oh. You have an absolutely amazing shirt on. I love that shirt. Thank you. Uh, you can find where, where is your shirt? You got to give me make my size, buddy. I got my. Oh, well, tell I me got, what you need. Yeah, three X. Yeah, three X, buddy. I got I got two X. I, I know, but I, I I got too much for the two X. <laughs> I got I got to lose about twenty I'll have pounds to get, to get back one into made it. for you. Okay, I'll get I'll have to get I'll get one made for you. Okay, thank you. I can do that. Go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. No problem. So, um, you know the the one thing I want to say is, and we talked about this on the roundtable for the preview of WrestleMania, just like Messier said, we, we should, we should really take this into perspective and, and actually be thankful that we have programming that is original, even if it's not a hundred percent original in the case of WWE, because they are still showing some old matches on raw and SmackDown, True. but at, hopefully that was just the lead up to WrestleMania and trying to, trying to tie some things in as opposed to not mm-hmm. being the time allotted um i do i do feel that they're doing a much better job wwe kind of stumbled a little bit at first in the uh empty arena era that's a great term yeah um aew knocked it out of the park from the beginning and then i think wwe has done a good job of responding and yeah taking some corrective action without copying aew well you brought up a good point mike you brought up a really, really good point that I want you to expound on for me. Okay. AEW. Yeah. Okay. Why do you think they did a bang-up job right out of the chute? Well, um... It, what, they, was, what was different? Well, they, uh... They focused on the, the ring as opposed to the ring and the empty arena. They had... Heels on one side of the arena, faces on the other side, all around the ring, like the first row. And exactly. And uh, like um, uh, guys were betting in the crowd, and and there was interaction from from different people in the the telecast. It was great. Yeah, and and I think that when you look, when you got MJF walking through the crowd taking bets on matches, that's great. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> and then, and then the other thing they did, one, you know, this was a subtle one that I don't know if everybody caught. Um, I caught it with uh, Hangman Adam Page. They called him hand washing Adam Page on his little uh, his little name plate. Lower third screen. Yeah. And uh, 
you know, like that's the kind of thing that AEW can do. They have the creativity and the freedom to do, and that was great. And then, you know, look, let's not let's not gloss over the fact that they also had Matt Hardy and uh, Brody Lee show up for the first time True. on that on that first episode. Um, yeah. So, I mean, heck, that that's tough to beat any day. But um, yeah. I, I'll just say this also: the um, the uh, the job that WWE is doing is getting better. And the the interesting thing that you said, Angelo, about the wrestlers being able to hear the ref and the trash talking from from the other wrestlers and stuff, it's great. The one thing that I took exception with during WrestleMania, as far as that's concerned, is you could hear the announcers when the wrestlers were doing stuff in the ring. Like there was a I forgot what match it was. It was it was Sunday. It might have been the um, edge and orton match before it left the the ring or it was it was somebody but regardless it was um like somebody was interfering and then yeah. so michael cole is saying oh he's he's interfering and this and then the ref has to act like they can't hear what's going uh, on. Right. you know that's yeah. the one thing i but, i you know i actually caught that mike so i'm glad you i'm glad you pointed it out but other than that like i have loved hearing like uh there was a spot but, where, but uh, given the circumstances, though, I it, mean, I, I give it a pass. It's fine. Exactly. I'm just saying, I like, mean, it's it's forgivable. Absolutely. There was another spot where I think um, Kevin Owens was in the ring, maybe with the Street Profits or somebody, and uh, I think it was Seth and and maybe um, oh I don't know whoever I don't remember who it was, but somebody said. Can we say something? And then whoever was in the ring said, no. And you would never hear that normally. But right. it's beautiful to hear this this uh, great trash talking and banner back and forth. It's I love it. Yeah. Messier. I've, I've, I've enjoyed the empty arena era more than the previous era of the last two Ooh. years, to be honest with you. Well, and I think one of the reasons I agree with that uh, and it may surprise you that I actually don't mind the empty arena matches. They're kind of growing on me, I'll be, to be perfectly honest. I think one of the reasons they're growing on me is that, to your point, Mike, and to your point, Mike Messier. Um, Can you please call me Killer? Okay. Thank you. To your point, Killer Kelleher. <laughs> killer, I got to get used to that Killer Kelleher. You look like a puppy dog. Let's be honest. <laughs> but the, the the point I'm trying to make is it's forcing them, the WWE, on all levels to be more creative. Right. To find different ways to be creative. You know, you said it from the outset. AEW went right in to the ring and they had people... Babies on one side, heels on the other. They had, you know, spectator interaction, for lack of a better term. Okay? And, you know, the whole bet-taking bit, that that element there, I would call that a comedy bit. And it it worked, especially with MJF, because he's as funny as shit. The guy, I mean, he don't have to do anything, and you want to, you love him and you hate him all at the same time. Well, right. don't forget, they also had Jericho doing commentary, which you can't go wrong with. No. How do you go wrong with Chris Jericho doing anything? You know? 
But I think that the WWE is finding ways now to be more creative. I think they're also finding ways to be more current. The biggest, um, I don't want to say, I don't want to use the word drawback because it's really not a drawback. But the biggest criticism, I'll use that word. The biggest criticism for the longest time, and Mike Messier, you know it, uh, is that the WWE was in a bubble. Right. And they they didn't they couldn't get out of that bubble. They were stuck in this, for lack of a better term, what Vince Russo calls the wrestling bubble. Right. Okay. And they couldn't break that. I think. The empty arena era is forcing them. It's forcing their hand. They have to break out of it. They have no audience now. Yeah. And then, there are and people at home now watching wrestling who never watched wrestling before. Why? Because it's the only thing on. Go figure. You know, wrestling is going to save us from the coronavirus. <laughs> you know? Well, look, I, I mean, you know, and, and ironically enough, in China, the same word for opportunity is the same word for crisis, isn't it? I learned that from Maggie Simpson. Yes. So, yeah. therefore, this crisis that we're all experiencing with the coronavirus gives the WWE and AEW an opportunity to, and the other wrestling groups as well, whether it's NWA, Impact, they all have this opportunity now to go into some different places. And for me, what was successful was both the Boneyard match and the Firefly Funhouse. Absolutely. I found found them to both be a creative success. I, um, I found the rest of the WrestleMania to be a seven or eight, with 10 being the highest score, I'll, I'll yeah. be nice and I'll give it an eight. But um, some matches worked better than others. And sure. and the matches that seemed to work were the ones like Charlotte versus Rhea, where it seemed like these two people would really fight each other if there was an audience or not. Sure. When you have when you have other acts or other matches, like, for instance, the Street Profits or Nikki Cross wrestlers wwe sports entertainers that seem to be more based on the crowd reaction yeah then that's when they struggle but when it's charlotte flair who legitimately seemed to want this nxt women's title and rhea ripley who legitimately seemed to want to hold on or to establish herself to be able to beat charlotte at wrestlemania then i could get sold on it and i did get sold on it I'll say this, like from my perspective, I thought night one of WrestleMania was subpar, including the Boneyard match. Um, and then, but night two more than made up for it. And that seems to be the consensus of just about everybody you talk to. Well, I mean, you look at you look at um, the. Um, but the uh, I, not to interrupt you, Mike. But no. the ironic thing, it's funny how if you. St- we were uh, talking about concerts before, right? Yeah. Talking about the opening act and then the main event, right? Here's the funny thing. Here's the ironic twist to this whole thing. Had they done the entire show just the way it was done in one night, 
everybody would be raving that WrestleMania was a stellar success. But the fact that you broke it up into two nights, you built people up, and then what did you do? You went from here, boom, you dropped them. I mean, I could see that to a point. I think they definitely added more matches than you would have had in a one-night WrestleMania. But overall, I, I think that night two could have stood alone as a Sunday, one-day WrestleMania. And You're been probably right. More than good. Um, I mean, like uh, the Miz and Morrison, the, the tag team at like that whole thing, I thought I didn't know what had happened. And apparently Miz was sick or something. And uh, we're testing him. He yeah. was under supervision. So he so they made it into a singles match and like that whole mm -hmm. thing. I, I don't know that that was really awkward, but I, I loved all of the women's matches I thought were great. And then yeah. um, the uh, Firefly Funhouse match, as much as I – and Jeff would Jeff is smiling really big right now because I do not like Bray Wyatt at all. <laughs> but, um, you know, I really yeah. liked what they did with that. And, like, yeah. see some of those little flashbacks to uh, Saturday Night Main Event and some mm -hmm. of the other little things they did. Like, it just brought back memories that yeah. I hadn't thought of in years. Well, Mike Messier, final thoughts before I have to let you go. Well, I, I just uh, thank you for having me again, Angelo, and good to see you again, Mike. And, you know, I, I think it was, uh, look, at the, uh, just just uh, once again, thanks to all the healthcare workers and people working in the pharmacies, the drug stores, the grocery stores, the gas stations, um, you know, even places like Office Depot and stuff like that are still open. So, for the yeah. people putting their time in and, and doing their work, thank you. Because just going to a store for ten minutes is a good thing these days. But absolutely, as far now, as the rest, Mike Messier. The next time I will see you, yep, will be on April the fourteenth, and we will be interviewing Karen McDaniel. Wahoo McDaniel's Wahoo uh, wife. Yes. Well, the funny thing is, I think I met her a long time ago because I bought a wrestling mask from Wahoo McDaniel for five dollars. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And uh and yeah, we'll get together on the fourteenth to uh to talk to uh Mrs. McDaniel. Sounds good. I will let you go tonight, Mike. So thank you for joining us. Uh go enjoy your dinner. Thanks, everybody. You got it, my friend. Take care. Have Take a good care. night, Mikey. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye bye. By the way, Angelo, I want to say one thing. You know, you say I look like a puppy dog, even though I'm killer <laughs> Kelleher. But I'll just say this. Maybe I kill. I have to laugh when you say killer. <laughs> Maybe I kill people with my kindness. Oh, you found a way to redeem yourself. Look at you. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Oh, Jesus. Well, let's talk about the, uh, the show. Um, the refs round table. It's getting a lot of good reviews. Oh. People love the subject matter. They like to pick them. Oh, and okay. I, that's a favorite of mine too, by the way, I like to pick them. So uh, if people are just watching this for the first time, tell everybody what pick them is. Well, what we do is when there's a big pay-per-view, we, we go through the whole card and each person picks who they think is going to win the match. And it started off with me and Jeff, the ref, 
and um, we we did the NXT Takeover pay per view from it was about two months ago now, mm-hmm. and that was the only one we got in before he passed away. Um, yeah, but we had plans to to do this for all the big matches, and we were really looking forward to to WrestleMania. He didn't know I I came up with WrestleMania uh, posthumously, but. Yeah. Uh, I would. Uh, well, that's our tribute to the ref. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I said he was. He will always be a part of the show, and he absolutely will. And God bless you for it. I mean, that's that's Thank awesome. And so, the uh, the pick'em. Like, here's my here's the sheet for the pick'em, and I kept. Oh, you got the matches and everything wrote down, and the winners and losers. Oh no shit. So. Well, you did put some science into this. Absolutely. So we we uh, we went through the whole card and. Uh, please go listen to that episode. It was it was a fun episode. Yeah, yeah. it's a good one. It's up on our uh, our Facebook right now. It's up on the Wrestling with the Future site. It's also up on Podbean, iHeart, iTunes Radio, uh, Podbay, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. The as Jeff the ref would say, the fillings in your teeth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's everywhere. You can find that episode everywhere. Well, so I've... now let's talk about some of the people coming up on the show, Mike. Yeah, let's do it. Um, we've got our friend returning, the Metal Maniac, Jeff Miller. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Metal will be back. He's Where's actually joining us. I think he's supposed to be here tomorrow. Oh, really? Yeah, tomorrow night, actually. Oh, boy. Is of he course, you, you heard me. No? Say again? Shirt or no shirt? No, this time a shirt, and this time he's going. <laughs> for, if you, for those listening, if you don't know what we're talking about, just check out the episode with the metal maniac. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, you, you don't need, <laughs> you don't need to say anymore. Nope. He's a character. I will tell you, Jeff Miller, the metal maniac, is a character. Um, of course, you you heard me mention Karen McDaniel, Wahoo McDaniel's wife. Will be with me on the 14th. That'll be myself and Mike Messier. Uh, you'll be recording an episode of the Roundtable that week. And we have Nikita Brezhnikov coming on. Now, this will be your first time meeting Nikita. Um, so do some research on Nikita. The last time Nikita was on was actually. Two days before Jeff passed. Uh, two d- and that was the last episode that Jeff ever recorded with me. Wow. And that's a real special episode for me. Um, and then that's that's on April the 16th. Now, we got a big one coming up. Oh, yeah. You and I are going to be talking to Tony Volano. He is the curator and uh, head of the International Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame, uh, also called the IPHWF. I love it. Then, returning for his second appearance on April 23rd is J.J. McGuire, the music man from WWE. He wrote all that great music with Jimmy, the mouth of the South Heart. Mm -hmm. And May, we're going to start off May with a bang because i got in one week i got two big ones yeah two big ones may 5th magnum ta Woo! Tell me what you remember about magnum ta 
Well, I grew up in Virginia Beach, and a certain wrestler by the name of Magnum TA was from Virginia Beach. And that was like insane to me to think there is a real professional wrestler somewhere in your town. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It blew my mind. I had a friend, this girl, who uh, ended up breaking my heart once. Um, but we were just friends growing up, like 10 years old, 12 years old. And, uh, her mom had a restaurant and Magnum TA came into that restaurant and had lunch one day. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Like I, it blew my mind. Did you get to meet him? No, I just found out afterwards, but. Oh, wow. I'm just saying like to think like it, it, it's kind of like thinking they're superheroes. Like, oh, they eat dinner somewhere. They eat lunch. What? Yeah, wait, the first time I ever found out that that Bruno, you know, ate dinner, I was like, he eats food? Really? <laughs> I thought he was like Superman that yeah. just like, you know, chomped on metal. That's right. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, Magnum TA on, on May 5th. So and then last night, I got to tell you, I had a very interesting conversation with Lanny Poffo. Okay. Lanny Poffo will be joining us on May the 7th. Leaping Lanny. Leaping Lanny, the genius, the poet laureate of wrestling. Indeed. And we're going to talk to him about everything Lanny Poffo. I am not going to talk to him. I Well, here's the thing. Yeah. I'm not going to talk to him about Macho Man. I get it. And I'm not going to talk to him about Elizabeth or Lex Luger. Okay. That's been done ad nauseum. And I'm sure he's sick to death of answering questions about his brother. I want to talk to Lanny about Lanny. Absolutely. I I've want got to a show thing about Lanny. I'm going to try and dig it up before uh, before the episode. Oh, you have a photo of you and Lanny? No, I just have something to tie into. Lanny. Oh. Okay. It doesn't have anything to do with Arnold Palmer or golfing. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> oh, our connection is going, Angela. Oh shit, we needed that laugh. That was funny. <laughs> it was. That's all good. <laughs> hey, it went right over uh, y'all's heads. That's okay. But you know, somehow or another, though, if you could tie Arnold Palmer to Lanny Poffo. I'm working on it. It somehow it wouldn't surprise me. No, don't work on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. And, oh, and we also have Yeah, we got a big one coming up. We've got um a ref's round table on May I believe uh oh, later in May on the 21st. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But we've got Flying Brian Pillman Jr. coming on twice in May, May twelfth and May twenty sixth. Tell me about what you. What do you know about Brian Jr.? Did you ever watch his dad wrestle? Oh man, I watched his dad a lot. Um, he was he was a real big uh, baby face back in the day. Um, I mean, I'm did you know his father as a wrestler before the? Before the so-called loose cannon days. What do you mean by, uh, I don't know that term, loose cannon. Okay, they called, They used to call Brian Pillman the loose cannon. Oh, really? Yeah, 
I didn't check know that. It, oh yeah, check it out. Check okay. it out. Yeah, oh. he was he was a heel. He was part of the Hart Foundation. Oh really? You oh you got to do your research, brother. You got a lot of homework to do. Uh, yeah, I only remember like from from what I actually remember watching on TV. He was always flying Brian Pillman, the blonde haired, blue tight. Uh, yeah, you know. No, it, let, let me tell you something. After that, he went 100% heel, all black, everything black. Wow. He even grew out his beard and had it all scruffy, scruffy face, but he still looked good. Well, yeah, I was going to say, like, he, he was he kind of like us, you know, you know like. As hard as we try to be ugly by covering our faces up with beers, we still look good. Exactly. In fact, we look better. But check it out. I want you to do your homework. Here's what I want you to do. Go on to YouTube and type in. What's YouTube? <laughs> not you. Go on and, 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 and search Brian Pillman Loose Cannon. All right. Okay, you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. Then we've got, it's a Brian Jr. on the 12th. Angelo, who did Brian Pillman feud with when he was a face? Oh, God. Uh, was he like God. Barry Windham and was he fighting with like Barry Windham and? Um, oh, God, sure. Yeah. I'm trying to remember because he was, I know there was a time when he was going up against some of the guys in the Horsemen. Um, and then anyway, I don't want to throw the the train off the tracks here. I just couldn't remember. Oh, no, I'll tell you right now. Um, because that's a really good question. You know, yes, Angela, I gotta say, this is the third time today you have complimented me by saying that's a really good point or that's a really good question. Well, it is. It's true. <laughs> um, here you go. Here you go. Um. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, who did he feud with? Wow. Uh, okay, here you go. Started his career in 89. Okay, here we go. He he fought against Tom Zink, um, Brad Armstrong, mm-hmm. Jushin Thunder Liger, Ricky Morton, Scotty Flamingo, he turned heel in 92. Wait, he was but, fighting Ricky Morton as, yeah. a, as a face? Which says... I wonder if Ricky Morton was a heel. For a cup of coffee, he was. Okay. Um, says, frustrated by Brad Armstrong's knee injury and vacating the WCW light heavyweight title, he was scheduled to wrestle Armstrong at Clash of the Champions... Mm-hmm. And formed a tag team with Barry Windham, hmm. gunning for the NWA championship held by Ricky Steamboat and Shane Douglas. All right. So, yeah, I mean, that was, uh, yeah, you want to check that out because there's a lot. There's a lot there. Pillman wrestled a long time and, oh, yeah. You know, and was over in WCW and WWF. Absolutely. Um, now something of interest to both of us mm-hmm. wrestling training schools. We are going to have the owner of the very first wrestling training school publicly. And that's the monster factory, the world famous monster factory 
that was founded by a, a guy I knew very well. He was a dear friend of mine, rest in peace. His name was Pretty Boy Larry Sharp. <laughs> you remember that name? No? No. You're a young man. You got homework to do. I just remember, like, a lot of the guys that said, like, there was Gorgeous George, and there was a lot of guys who said they were really pretty that really weren't. Was was uh, was your buddy a uh, good Larry? Yeah. He had a baby face, yeah. Okay, okay. But he was a prick. I'm okay. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was a nice guy. He was a really nice guy. Angelo, what are you going to say about, what do you, like, if, if I were to pass away, what kind of, what kind of smack talk are you going to write on my tombstone? That he was a prick? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to say he was a wonderful man who knew shit about wrestling and loved Arnold Palmer. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm it's all good. It's all good. Oh, jeez. I forgot, though, that you, were, you actually worked as a golf pro. Yeah. So I guess in that field, Arnold Palmer is, you know, he is a, you know, I, I, he's he's gone now, right? Yeah, but he was a, a legend in golf. Oh my you, God. I mean, in fairness, he was a legend outside of golf. But let's not go down well, this road. Yeah, but yeah, um, well, no, let's talk about that. I, I mean, I knew who Arnold Palmer was, yeah. but not from golf. I knew who he was because of the television show, The Munsters. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Because he appeared on the Munsters. That's how I knew who he was. But I'll tell you who else. You're talking about golf. You know, another name that transcends the golf course, Lee Trevino. It's another guy. Um, The difference is, I think a lot of younger people don't know who Lee Trevino is. But people know Arnie and uh, Jack, Jack Nicholas. But um, Lee Trevino, amazing. One of the best of all time. Gary well, Flair. in the in the well, let's let's make the analogy. In the world of golf, you can say names like Arnie and Jack, and they know who you're talking about. Tiger. Just like in wrestling, you don't even have to say San Martino; you say Bruno. Yeah. You don't have to say Uncle. Steamboat. You don't have to say Steamboat. You just say Ricky. And when you're talking about Flair, it's just Rick or Flair or Nate. Nate, yeah. Or how about Hulk? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean there are names that you know one names and, and that describes you know yeah. in the in the realm of wrestling. Oh my God, there's you know there's a, a handful of guys who transcended professional wrestling. Bruno, Hulk, a superstar. Rock. Yeah, Rock. You know. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people, well, probably now they know his name is Dwayne Johnson, but few people would be hard-pressed to even know his name was Dwayne, you know, just call him The Rock. Yeah. Hi, Mr. The Rock, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, on May the 19th, we're going to have a conversation with a wrestling legend, uh, a guy who goes back a, about 40 years in wrestling. He was a trainer, a manager. He owned a school, a promotion. He worked for every major federation. His name is Doc Diamond. Mm. 
And Doc will be with us and talk about his illustrious career. He's also a guy I've known for a long time, about 30 years. And Doc's a really, really interesting cat. He's a funny, funny guy. Looking and he cool. likes to curse. He likes to cuss a lot. Okay. He'll fit in so well. I might have to put like an adult warning on that show. <laughs> <laughs> Got to put up that, that famous disclaimer, you know, you know, uh, 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 under 18 use discretion. <laughs> yeah. But now uh, let's talk about May 21st because we're going to do a real interesting roundtable. Yeah. We're going to talk about the death of Dino Bravo. Mm-hmm. Now, they're doing that story on Dark Side of the Ring. But we had already planned on this, so we're going to do it anyway. Just like with our the episode we did on Chris Benoit. Benoit, yeah. Yeah. And by the way, we got some really amazing reviews on that show. Awesome. It's funny, the same people that dumped on us beforehand complimented us afterwards for doing such a fair job. So they, they were they were before the episode, they were they were talking smack and, and Yeah, exactly. Okay. Like wrestling fans do. Yeah, I've heard that but, a time or two. Yeah, but you know what happens because look, Mike, let's be honest. Everybody's, you know, brave behind the keyboard. Well, and let's let's also remember this. We were leading them down, like their minds were going down one path, and we totally switched it. Well, we swerved them. Yeah. And that's why they looked at the show, probably out of morbid curiosity, and went, hey, this is pretty good. Bruiser Brody's wife was another one. Exactly. And the thing that we did with with Mrs. Goodish, or uh, a.k.a. Mrs. Bruiser Brody, was that we never talked to Barbara once about how her husband died. She mentioned one time in the conversation, she called it the incident. Yeah, just one little. And that was, in, and glossed right over. And and I knew what she meant, and everybody else did too. You knew, of course. And, uh, of course, so Mike Massey. I got to give you a little credit there, because. Yes, sir. You know, it's it, it's like. It would have been easy picking, like cherry picking, to just try and talk about circumstances around Bruiser Brody's passing and all that. But to go to go um, to go a different route and to say, let's focus on the man, his life, as opposed to the moment of his death and the things surrounding. Exactly, Mike, and that's a very good point. And what I did not want to do is I did not want to drudge up painful memories for her oh forget she's got a son now that's like almost 40 yeah right and i thought it was about 32 but apparently he's you know a few years older than i thought um because it's been you know many years since brody 32 years since brody passed and so and he was seven at the time so yeah he's almost 40 now yeah um like this too we're lucky to get Mrs. Goodish on the show. And yeah, very fortunate. To earn to earn that kind of um, trust with her. You know, it's, it's so important. And I, I just, you know, it's one of those things. I'm so glad we didn't go the easy route and just 
just take the 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 yeah. same the same path that had been been trudged before. And and that's a point, Mike, that you bring up. That's a very very important point, and thank you for bringing it up. That subject matter has been done ad nauseum. Absolutely. Talk, talking about, you know, the death of Bruiser Brody, the murder of... Yes, we all know he was murdered. We yep. all know how he died. There was a whole locker room full of wrestlers there who stood around and did nothing. We all, we all know. that uh, She doesn't need to be reminded of that. And It's a class any, move. That's and what if, it's yeah, and you know something else, too. If anybody has a right to hate the wrestling business, she does. You know, she's got every right to like want to remove herself from the wrestling business. Yeah. But she's such a wonderful, wonderful woman. And she's a strong lady, too. Uh, and a good mom. Uh, but we're going to talk about the death of Dino Bravo. That was that's got mafia hit written all over it. Oh, and we're going to talk about his connections to the mob, the uh, illegal activity he was doing, um, why his career in the WWE was short lived. Okay. Um. Well, there's a lot there. Oh my God, we're going to go crazy with that one, and then um. And that'll be on uh, May 21st. And then, again, returning on May 26th is Flying Brian Pillman Jr. So we're going to talk to him. And by the way, his father's birthday is May the 22nd. So he's going to be here before his dad's birthday and after his father's birthday. Yep. So... uh, and Flying Brian Pillman Jr. is a wonderful kid. I got to meet him, spoke to him for a while when uh, he was here in New Jersey. In fact, that's where I hooked up with J.J. Dillon. And J.J. was a great guy. And he remembered me promising him pizza, popcorn, and candy. And uh, month supply, thank you. Um, yeah, month supply, thank you. <laughs> Yes, a month's supply, by the way. And, uh, yeah, and I, and I have every intention of doing that. And are I'm you, going to send him a T-shirt. Are you going to deliver the pizzas personally? or what? No, was- fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's a long drive. He lives in Delaware, brother. Oh, come on. That's about 30 minutes, not too bad. Yeah. He lives in Smyrna, Delaware. But uh-huh. that's what we've got coming up in the month of May. Yeah. Now, I'm going to leave it at that because mm-hmm. we got a whole another ball game starting in June. Uh-oh. We're going to change up some stuff. We're going to add we're adding a new show. We're going to add a new show. I'm not going to tip the hat on this episode. Uh-huh. We're going to unveil it on another episode. I'll okay. give you a heads up privately. I'll tell you what that's all about. But we've got a lot going on, so uh when can people expect in the next edition uh, installment? This will be uh, episode eight coming up of the Refs Roundtable. So when can people expect episode eight? Uh, I'm talking to Levi and Chris, who were on the, the Pick'em episode. 
because we want to go over our picks and, you know, obviously revisit that. So uh, we're hoping to record it tomorrow, but either tomorrow or Saturday, we'll, we'll get it in. Okay. And, um, and then we'll get back to our regularly scheduled program of, of weekly news and updates. Super. Sounds like a plan to me. Yeah. Well, for Mike Killer Kelleher, Killer Mike Kelleher, I like that. Okay. Maybe it'll grow on me. Okay. <laughs> You're killing me with the killer stuff. <laughs> you can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Podbean, Podbay, uh, YouTube, Twitch TV, Daily Motion, the fillings in your teeth. This one's for the ref, always for the ref. For Mike Killer Kelleher. I'm Psychic Medium Angelo. Thanks for stopping by. Join us again. Happy wrestling, everybody. Bye-bye.